Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. My God, thank you, Jesus. Before I get into the word today, I thought I'd just take a few minutes to um, make a small introduction to uh, a, a group of young men that are here from Korea, and they have been building a career and a ministry for Jesus, and they're awesome. They've been on America's Got Talent. They've been hanging out with my brother-in-law, BB for a while, but I love Koreans. I love my friend. Why don't y'all give it up for Korean soul as they come and bless us with a song. Y'all come on up here. Come on up here, brothers. Come on up. Come on all the way up on the stage. I just got to have them sing something. I don't even know what they're saying, but Korean soul. So these soul brothers, Pastor Steve. <laughs> Young Jay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, can we get a C? <laughs> God sent his son, they call him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. Jesus. 
What can I sing with you so that it's like I'm a part of Korean soul? You have anything that, that like just everybody can join in that we don't have to be as talented as you? Like just so I can say I sang with Korean soul. <laughs> like what you just, just one, it, it, if it's 30 seconds, just so I say like I, I am one of the Korean soul singers. You can, yeah, I'm ready. Just, <laughs> just tell me my part. <laughs> You don't have to do another one, but I was just milking it for all it was worth. <laughs> they want to hear you sing more than me preach right now. <laughs> Troubles in my way. Troubles in my way. Jesus, he will fix my 
let's give God praise for an amazing gift. Pastor Steve, that would be great for Every Nation Conference right there, Korean Seoul. Um, thank you guys so much for um, preparing your gifts and, and sharing your gifts and, and um, obviously you practice because I couldn't hit those notes. I'll try, you know, the how, I was gonna jump in on that how when you did, I backed off because, you know, I don't wanna steal your shine. And so, and I did, you shine, God bless. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, honor and thank you for who you are and what you do. I pray God through the revelation of your word, we your people would see you more clearly, love you more dearly and follow you more nearly. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be accepted on thy sight. You're my strength. You're my redeemer. Every glad and happy heart say amen. Okay. Um, I, I was exposed to a story that is um, presumably true that was um, quite interesting and startling. Uh, there was a preacher Saturday night getting ready, and a homeless guy showed up at his house um, obviously in need, a little smelly, um, a little awkward and off-putting, and he actually came to the house, the door was open, but when the door was closed, the guy had none of his spiritual, mental, or physical needs met. And so he had went, perceiving there would be an open door, but instead of an open door, he received a closed door. Um, I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever needed an open door before and you find a closed one. Imagine how you feel, it's, it's kind of devastating. But something happened the next day, which was Sunday, the pastor preached and, uh, and uh, everything was well, but toward the end of the service, the homeless man came in and walked all the way to the front and turned around and started speaking to the people and he spoke a rebuke, not just to the pastor, but then he spoke and he said, all of you have seen me. None of you have helped me or those like me. He said, not the simplest kindness of a glance, a hello, or some form of a greeting. This ought not be. Obviously, the congregation was overwhelmed by the reality that what he said was true. Is that they had fallen into the trap of seeing needs, not meeting needs. And this put the pastor on this real uh, adventure to inspire the congregation to never be like that again. And he gave story after story, and then it became an article every week that became a book. And the book title was called In His Steps, if you put my uh, uh, cover up there, In His Steps. Um, what Would Jesus Do? This is in uh, 1880, uh, 1898, somewhere around there. This book came out. Now, within a few weeks, 100,000 copies. A few 
months after that, years, top seller list of all time, 50 million. So powerful. The stories of people having transformation from doing what they would do, which is ignore a problem, to walking in the steps and doing what he would do, which is to address a challenge or a problem. You know, it, after a while, you know, several decades passed, it, the message was lost. And there in Michigan, Holland, Michigan, uh, a girl named Jeannie, she was a youth leader, wanted to inspire her youth after reading the book. And she came up with a bracelet. And because the words, what would Jesus do, were so long, she abbreviated it, put my bracelet up there. And she had the bracelet say, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Became popular, her $400 investment became millions of dollars. But neither her nor um, Sheldon, who wrote the book In His Steps, had taken the proper steps to um, secure this intellectual property. So there are people making millions of dollars off of something that they didn't create. And so she eventually tried to claim it. They said it's now, it's been too long, so it's intimate domain. A publisher fights the battle because they have the resources to, they, I won't name the publisher, but they have the book and the, the WWJ and make millions of dollars. And still, Sheldon has only received 10000 over the lifetime of that. And first of all, did that, you know, Sheldon didn't care about the money. But neither did they care to do what Jesus would do and extend some money. You know, I notice that something happens, and I've seen it in athletics all the time. You get the bracelet but you can still live however you want, no matter how you brand yourself. I'm a Christian, I'm a what would Jesus do person, but I can still speak profane, live profane, do whatever I wanna do, and instead of the bracelet being a reminder that I need to walk in his steps and live like him, it's only a reminder that maybe he, he loves me. It's something that I've seen so often that I can ignore. Perhaps today through this message, you will be re-prompted to ask yourself those questions or that question that should be answered by you. What would Jesus do? More importantly, do I do, do I practice what Jesus would do? Do I live like he would live? The story we're gonna to visit today in John uh, chapter 13 is going to help us look at this, examine this, and figure out where we stand, and if perhaps we want to do something a little bit different in order to uh, be more like him. Let's go to John. I want to just read the first two verses um, of John 1 and 2, and we're going to go through this all the way to probably the 16th verse together. I'm going to say, ready? Read, and even if you're watching online, please read along on the screen. Please read loud with some rhythm and diction and power. Ready? Read!
Read verse 3. Okay, that's good. Now, I just want you to know what time of year it is. We are about 24 hours or so away from Jesus' death on a cross. He is celebrating the Passover, that time where you are celebrating God delivering the children of Israel from the Egyptians where he put the blood on the doorposts and, and the, the deaf angel passed over. This is a time of year where there are hundreds of thousands of people there. They're slaughtering lambs. There is people everywhere. Jesus is being reminded every day, I'm going to be killed like this. He can smell it. He can see it. He can hear it. And he is there. And the scripture says his activity, 24 hours left in his life, when he knew his hour would come, in other words, he knew he was going to die. This is not a question mark. He knew it. This is it. He knew the Father had delivered all things to his hand. He knew that he had authority. He loved his own to the end or to the fullest extent. First thing I want you to understand about this particular text, that no matter what was going on in Jesus' life, he was always thinking about you, and he was always thinking about me. And then he didn't have temporary love, he had pure love. He had that great love. He had that selfless love. He had that agape love. You know, real love is love without a reason. Love really don't make sense if you really look at it. You know, love is that thing you, you, you do without expecting anything in return. He had that love feast. Jesus, in his final hour, is loving. What would you do if you had 24 hours to live? What would you do? How would you spend it? Well, I went on the internet to, you know, where you find out everything about everything. And I was amazed at what people would do. Some people would go gamble everything away. Some people would, would drink everything away. And some people said they would spend time with their family, but that was more to unburden themselves. What would you do with your 24 hours to live? Get something in your head right now. Jesus, with his 24 hours left to live, is surrounding himself with people, and he's loving them. He's not in a receiving posture. He is in a giving posture. What posture do you take? The Bible says that at his table was somebody named Judas who Satan had already put in his heart. He needed to betray Jesus. Jesus' table on his last 24 hours was not just spent with those who loved him back. It was spent with somebody who had found hatred for him. In just a few verses, not only did he put in his heart to betray Jesus, the Bible says Satan would actually enter him. The Bible is not confused about who Judas is. The Bible says he was a devil from the beginning, yet he's at God's table. What kind of love is this that... Even when humans are completely rejecting him, he's not 
figuring out reasons to exclude them. You know if somebody was trying to hurt you and you knew about it, you would avoid them. Why is this no rush to avoid the very person that's going to topple uh, the situation? Because perhaps the Lord is not calling you to run away from all of the people who bring pain in your life. And I'm asking you not to take that to an illogical extreme. He doesn't want you to be beaten by somebody. But in general, those who don't wish you well doesn't always mean that you should, they should be expelled from your life. Ask yourself, what purpose does God have for them at your table? Jesus knew, Jesus had been given all authority and he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. That's powerful. Do you know who you are? I, I can imagine if I was Jesus, I would, if I got 24 hours to live, I start asking the people closest to me if they really got it. Do you know who I am? Did you figure me out? Do you see what's going on? Do you know how I roll? Verse four is interesting. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he wiped them with his towel that was wrapped around him. Now, to me, this is very interesting because something had gone wrong in this ceremony. This was a formal meal. There would have been a basin of water at the, at the front door. Some, some slave or some servant or some, some lowly person in the house would have been customary for them to take off your sandals and wa wa wash your feet. But this didn't happen for the disciples. They're not sitting at a traditional table like you and I for a, a Thanksgiving dinner or something like that where you're sitting upright in chairs. This is more of a Middle Eastern meal. So they're, they're, they're reclining at a lower table and somebody's foot this unwashed and dirty is leaned up against where the chicken is in the cranberry sauce. You don't want a toe nail to actually touch, you know, it, it, you know, it was just wrong. I like how Jesus doesn't stop and, and say, hey, hey, somebody, y'all wash your feet. Somebody, where the stuff at? He's not complaining about what's not being done. He sees what's not being done and says, I'm going to do something about it. Many times we as humans see what is out of order or what is out of place. And instead of taking it upon ourselves to do something, no one ordered him to do it. He just was doing it because no one else was going to do it. Do you have to wait to the need? Somebody tells you they need you for you to show up or can you just show up? Not, I'm not praising myself because my parents taught me this. You know, my mother would make us cut the elderly folks' grass in our neighborhood. And I asked, I said, Mama, I know Mr. King got a lawnmower. He'd choose not to cut his grass. Why am I cutting Mr. King's grass? And she said, baby, Mrs. King is old. He probably think about cutting the grass and don't have the strength to do it. If you see his grass up that high, she says, so whenever you cut the grass, because that was my business, I was making money. She said, cut his grass. I said, I, I cut it, I, I'm going to charge him a lot because his grass. She said, no, no, you don't charge him. You just cut it. 
And then she would add on people. Also, cut, cut, cut Auntie's grass down the street. Mama, I'm making, I'm got a business. What was it about Jesus' character, his love, that allowed him to see a need and then meet it? No one told him what to do. He's washing their feet. You know, just so you know, I, I don't like feet. This is, could, couldn't be a worse story in the Bible. Because I, I was thinking, I hope nobody hear this and say, you know, we should do a foot washing service. No, no, I don't think so. But I don't say that's the Holy Ghost, but that just, it's a, it's a challenging service for me. I don't, I don't touch nobody's feet. But the reality is I love that he used this. Because there had to be some level of a cringe factor in this. Because, you know, everybody, some people got karate toe. You know, it's all kind of. If you don't know what karate toe is, I'm sorry. Can't help you. I can't explain it right now. <laughs> the point is, he picked something that was a base. And no one would just automatically volunteered to do this, but he lent himself to the activity immediately. When's the last time you or I have lent ourselves to do something that no one else probably wants to do? They didn't say, Jesus, we're gonna give you $10 a foot. Jesus, we're gonna, we're gonna, at the end of this foot washing, we're gonna put a plaque up to say, Jesus, the best foot washer in Galilee. Uh, Jerusalem. There was no praise attached to this. There's just work and there's just service and there's just stuff to do and somebody had to do it and Jesus was willing to do it and even though it was nasty, he did it. Next verse says, and, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? I love that Peter out of the whole group who somebody should have protested, somebody should have acknowledged that Jesus had a high station and that he shouldn't be doing such a low job. Peter said, wait a minute, you are the Lord. You're the supreme ruler of all the universe and everything and you, you, you too high to be doing this kind of, uh, kind of work. Lord, you're gonna wash my feet? I am a sinner. I know who I am and I know who you are. You shouldn't be doing this. Now, I'm not volunteering myself, Peter is saying. I'm, I'm not going to wash them feet. We're just going to leave them unwashed. We can tolerate the dirt. And that's what really happens. We live with things undone and we learn to just say, we'll tolerate it. I can live with it like that. Who in your house going to take the trash out if you don't? How many times are you going to walk past the trash bag and just not put it outside? Whenever you see something on the plate, why can't you serve? How many times can you see something undone and do nothing? Peter said, I got to stop you. Lord, don't do it. And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but afterwards you understand. Sometimes the Lord is teaching them a lesson. They don't quite get it yet. Maybe right now you're at the beginning of understanding what Jesus would do. Has everything to figure out is what you should do. Have you figured it out yet? He said, you don't know. Jesus answered him. Um, Jesus answered him, said, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but afterwards you understand, verse uh, eight. Peter said, you should never wash my feet. You're always talking too quick. 
Jesus didn't need his permission. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, if I don't wash you, you should not have a share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash my feet, my hands, my head. You go ahead and just sprinkle me down. I'm ready. I'm yours. He hadn't figured out what the point of the lesson is. A lot of times we limit God to the activity we see in front of us, but this physical activity had spiritual implications, meaning he was modeling for them several things, not only what they should do to love one another physically, but what he, he was doing in humiliating himself in just a, few, a, a day or so to lay down his life. He said, Peter, he said, Simon Peter, Lord, uh, go, go verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. The, one of the best things that you can hear Jesus say is that you're clean. I want you to notice that these were already believers. Peter already believed. Who are you? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood then revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. Peter had crossed over, but a lot of times when we're born again, Sometimes we already receive eternal life and we already receive the benefits of faith and we just begin to do very little. But from there, there's still moments where you need to be sanctified. Still don't think right, you need to be washed with the word. Still don't act right, you need to be washed with the word. And somebody who's gonna wash you is gonna love you, they're gonna be with you. He said, not all of you clean because he knew who would betray him. Not all of you are clean. Jesus is still hanging out with people that would hurt him. He washed, his enemy was not just at his table, he washed his enemy's feet. Remember what motivated him was love. The Bible says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you that you might be considered the children of God. I think it is very easy to say I'm going to love my enemy. I think it's a very difficult thing to do, to overlook an offense. You couldn't get worse than Judas. He knew who he was, but love compelled him to serve the same way. I would have skipped Judas' feet just to let him know, I know who you are. The devil, you I know what you're going to do tonight. Shady snake. You know, that's, that's what's in us. Snake tendencies, hiss, hiss. I see you. <laughs> but he knew to do this. Verse 12. And when he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments, he resumed his place and said, do you understand what I've done? Jesus did not just love with his words. He loved in his actions. And he asked them, do you understand? And I'm going to ask you, do you understand what Jesus has done can you walk in his steps like Sheldon's book? Can you do what Jesus would do uh, like Jeannie did for her youth group? Do you have the wristband on? Have you answered the question yet? Verse 13 says it this way. You called me teacher, you called me Lord, and you are right, for I am. I love how he, he goes back to what Peter said. You call me the Lord, and I don't want you to think that I lost authority, I lost my identity just because I'm doing this menial work. I am the Lord. 
In Philippians 2, when he says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, that's his name. His name is Lord. He cannot change his identity, but in his identity is his character, and his character is that of a servant. He took on the form of, or the likeness of sinful flesh. I think that's powerful. He said, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. You know, the difficult thing in life is service and volunteering is not on the increase, it's on the decrease. For him to be Lord and for him to dictate that he wants us to serve one another, it would seem to be this was something that would be a high priority. We need 100% participation in these activities. And yet, statistics say that we're down by 10% from two years ago of people volunteering. And if people volunteer less or serve less in the church than they do other charitable organizations. Who do you think is going to come and serve God's house besides you or me? The Bible says, don't love in, in word only, but in everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Another scripture says, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Don't we want to be like Jesus? He said, for I've given you an example, verse 15, that you should do just as I have done. What did he do? Well, I love how 1 John 2, 6 says it. He lived a certain way and we get to live that way. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says he loved a certain way, we get to love that way. Colossians 3 and 13 said he forgave, we need to forgive. 1 Peter 1 and 16 said he is holy, so we should be holy. Matthew 20 and 28 says he didn't come to be served but to serve, so we shouldn't come to be served but to serve. So when you come to the house of God, you don't come first and foremost to receive, you come to give and to offer, and one of the residual benefits is you also receive. You know, I come from a, a church background. Um, the church Debbie and I uh, were, did our teen years in. There was a model of the church that feels like an affront to your soul because it feels dictatorial, but used to quote it every Sunday. And said, what kind of members do we have? And we would all say, working members only. What kind of members do we have? Working members only. And while that seems overwhelming, is it not what he's called us to do? He is Lord. Look at, look at, look at this little sequence that I found that I wanted to just uh, share with you. Because if you know, if he said, the first thing I said is, do you, do you get it? Do you understand? Then if you do understand, then do what he does. And, and, and here, look at this. Service versus volunteering. Let me show you this. It says when you, when, you're, when you serve, excuse me, when you volunteer, it's because you want to. When you serve, it's because you need to. Volunteering may be a choice, but serving 
is a calling. We're called to be Christ's slaves. You know, it's easy. I picked up a homeless man. I, 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 years ago, I had gotten a, a used BMW, my dream car, had enough miles on it where I could afford it. I was so happy. And I was driving this car around, and, and I saw this homeless guy. And I said, what did you need? And he said, I need, I need a ride to my house, and I, uh, I need a ride to like a shelter or whatever, and I need, I need something to eat. And he had a lot of needs, and I, I was feeling benevolent that day. I got him in the car, and it was, have you ever done an act of charity or something, and no one's around, but you feel a little good about yourself. You know, I felt, I, you know, that was me. And we was riding in the car, and, and he taught me something. We, he said, hey, you stopped the car. And I said, what? He said, that guy on the side of the road, you know, the wheel work for food and all that, he said, we got to give him something. And he dug into my change cup, and he just. <laughs> and we stopped for everybody that we, we saw, and he just giving them stuff. And then he said, and then when he ran out, he said, what, what else you got? <laughs> he said, we could never go past anyone in need. Verse 16 says this, truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is no greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed. God calls us servants, slaves, people who don't own themselves. The Bible says, I've been bought with a price, therefore you're not your own, therefore glorify God with your bodies. And I spent a lot of my life believing that I'm my own. I live like I'm my own. Sometimes wearing a bracelet saying WWJD would help me because I need to look down and say, what would Jesus do in these circumstances? He wouldn't see the need come to his front door and ignore it. He wouldn't see people hurting. What did Jesus do when he had 24 hours left to live? He loved his brother through service. When he had a cross waiting on him, you know, because the thing is, sometimes people don't serve because they don't have time. Jesus took the time. He had 24 hours left, and he still is spending it on us. He serves us. I love this scriptural conclusion, he's saying you'll be blessed or you'll be fortunate or you'll have the advantage. He'll extend benefits. You know, it's funny about God. Just by serving him and doing the right thing, you get stuff. If stuff is what you're after, the best way to do it is by losing your life for him. A few things I want you to remember as I close this message out. What if we really did what Jesus did and lived like he lived and didn't just wear the title Christian, but we lived the life of the Christian. Every brother that was in our fellowship would have all their needs met like the first church in Acts. The world and all of the sinners would see how we work together and they would know that God loves them and sent you to give them a message. Jesus would be honored as Lord. 
you would and I would be doers of the word and not hearers only. You would know that you were loved to the full. And the only response is to give that love away. You can stand to your feet as I leave you with this final scripture. John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Even now, at the right hand of God, the Father, the Bible says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's still doing stuff for us. He's still doing stuff for you right now. What can we do in response to such a loving God? is to consider what would Jesus do? Am I telling you to go out and now your assignment is to stop for every person that you see in need and, and meet their needs? No, I'm actually not saying that because Jesus walked past more people in need than he actually helped. But it is an attitude and a disposition you need to have and you need to stop and let the Spirit lead you the bracelet was to remind them to consider in this circumstance, what would Jesus do? It's not asking you to just be wild and go out and say, I gotta do it, I gotta do this, I gotta do it. You gotta be available to serve him. Jesus was not only full of the spirit, he was led of the spirit. Be led by him, bow your head, close your eyes. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us. You wouldn't leave us confused. You wouldn't leave us to our own devices. You said that Peter didn't know, but one day he would know. Could our day of knowing come right now? We want to know how to love you, know how to serve you, know how to be with you. Help us be a church, not a volunteers, because that's when we want to do it. Help us be a church of servants. We bless you in Jesus' name.